0: welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. i to come to the message today when talking about resurrection and as our kids go out, they're going to have an awesome time. I want to share um, a story from The Gospels from the Gospel of Luke and it's a story that uh, kind of occurs after the resurrection of Jesus Uh, and it's found in Luke chapter 24 and it's a story of transformation in a way, it's a story of I I guess in some ways it it represents that uh, transformation from death to life, from sorrow to joy, because in in a lot of ways the the resurrection of jesus and 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 the the story about resurrection is all about the, this kind of transformation isn 't it it 's all about uh, from death to life from what what seemed like defeat for the disciples which turn into to victory and the, the i guess the revelation and the understanding of god 's plan and so much of our life with God we discover is this kind of this this life where we we think things aren't going so well, and we think that you know we we feel like we're struggling uh through circumstances we're struggling through you know whether it's whatever it might be, and we feel like like kind of stuff is tough and then at, at some point we discover that it was kind of all part of god's plan. In the end. And the Easter story is very much this kind of story where we see, um, you know, God uh, took what seemed like failure and turned it into His success. He took the sorrow of the disciples and turned it into this incredible joy and, um, you know, he, He traded our sin and shame for His righteousness. And what we we sing that song lyric, don't we? We you know we, we you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. And it's so much uh, of that which we find in the the Easter story that what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. And the wounds that Jesus received at the cross, it, it wasn't like Jesus. Was victorious in spite of those wounds. In fact, he was victorious because of those wounds, wasn't he? And and God turned around what what the the, the enemy meant for for evil into his greatest victory. Um, I really love. There's a song that uh, Elevation of Worship have put out. Um, Some of you might know it. Uh, It's called Graves into Gardens. You would have some of you would have heard that one. It's, I encourage you to go and you know, look it up after church. Uh, <laughs> don't look it up now. Um, no, no, listening to to music while I'm preaching. But um, you know, it's this, this this the whole kind of theme of the song is is you know God takes stuff that you know, just seems like defeat, like, you know, He takes the grave and just turns it into beauty, turns it into victory, turns it into life, He takes death and transforms it into life. And so this morning I want to look at a few of those things, I've got six things, I think it is, where where God kind of takes what seems like defeat and turns it into victory. And we're going to look at some of the things that God does in us and I hope that through this we can actually start to Learn how to give thanks when we're going through difficult things, when we're experiencing negative feelings, and like we—I I don't know if you were here when we talked. Uh, it was a few months back now. It was a, a message about giving thanks in every circumstance, and it's kind of been on my mind a little bit. But it's, it was that whole thing about the, the story of um, the hiding place with Cory Ten Boom and. Being thankful even for the the fleas in their their beds in a concentration camp during World War II, and uh, and how God taught them to be thankful even for those things. But let's let's read uh, from Luke twenty four. I don't have this one on the screen, so if you've got your Bible or your phone open um, to Luke twenty four, you can read it along. This is from the New Living Translation. We're going to pick it up from verse thirteen. It says that same day. Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Now, if we're being honest, Jesus probably could have replied that he was the only person in all of existence who actually knew the totality of everything that had been happening in Jerusalem the last few days. He knew better than anybody what had been happening in Jerusalem the last few days. Apart from the, the human side of him actually being at the centre of it all, there was a spiritual aspect to some of the things that had been happening in Jerusalem that he understood that they had no idea about yet. But we continue. He doesn't say that, does he? He kind of says, what things, Jesus asked... The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering His glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all of the prophets, explaining from all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if He were going on but they begged Him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them and as they sat down to eat he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him and at that moment he disappeared. That would be freaky. (laughs) I I don't care who you are, that would scare the life out of me. Verse 32 says they said to each other didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us and within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem now you remember that this is night time and they didn't want Jesus to kind of continue on the road because it was getting dark it was getting nighttime and it's it's not wasn't so safe to travel so they invited him to come and stay with them now all of a sudden something's changed doesn't it now all of a sudden there's this, this sense of excitement where before there was this sadness and, and resignation. Now all of a sudden there, there's hope and there's excitement and there's this joy that has risen up within them. That that video that we watched at the start of the service today, I loved to see uh, just some of those uh, people who were part of that, some of those actors or people that were part of the video, the way that they expressed that joy at hearing the news, that emotion that would have risen up in hearing the news that Jesus is alive, that the grave is empty. And I think that probably some of these guys here in this home would have, who had been followers of Jesus, they'd been, they'd been hoping that He was the one and, and, and believing that maybe He could be the Messiah. Suddenly, there was this this hope and this joy as they recognize jesus and and they 're forgetting all about like traveling at night. This is probably an hour and a half trip on foot seven miles about i don 't know what seven miles about ten kilometers or so, something like that i don 't know you know it 's kind of like i don 't know what 's that one end of Wales to the other, about ten ks something like that they 're like no that 's it we 're on and I reckon it probably took them a lot. Less time to get back to Jerusalem than what it took them to get to Emmaus. I reckon there would have been a little bit of extra spring in their step, a little bit. I reckon they would have walked a little bit quicker uh, on the way back to Jerusalem to go and see the other disciples. Verse thirty-three, the second part there says, "And they found, as when they got back to Jerusalem, they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them." Yeah, and, and they said, the Lord has, has really risen. He appeared to Peter. One of the things that, that Scripture talks about and we see illustrated so beautifully in this passage is the way that Jesus' death and resurrection turn sorrow into joy. The scripture talks about this, the, the, the living Jesus who gives us a, a reason for joy, a reason for excitement. And part of that is because we are no longer on the outside, but we are part of his family. That this that ought to be something that stirs up great joy in us. And no matter what circumstances we face. Just as, as Paul writes to the, the Philippians, he says, Rejoice and you know and, and again I tell you, rejoice in every circumstance. You know, and he's, and he's writing from, from house arrest, is from prison for anyone who had reason to be discouraged or down, it would have been poor. You know, you read the list of all the things that he suffered, all the beatings, all the imprisonments, all the, the, the floggings and the whippings and the things that would be unimaginable for most of us. And he says, in the midst of it all, I've got this joy because I know my Saviour when Paul and Silas were locked up in that that dark, dank, stinking prison in the middle of the night, you know, chained up, absolutely no freedom in the physical sense, but in their hearts there's this joy that just bursts out into worship and into song and it's like, you know, if there was any time, uh, you know, and this is in the middle of the night, like they should have been sleeping, what's going on with these guys? But there's this, this joy that bursts out. Because of who Jesus is, and because of what he's done. The resurrection of Jesus turns sorrow into joy. Secondly, it turns worry into peace. Philippians four, verse seven. Some of us know this verse, some of us a verse that we go to often for encouragement. It says, don't worry about anything. In Some translations say, do not be anxious about anything. But it says, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, when we read that verse, often we interpret that as saying we shouldn't ever feel worry, we shouldn't ever have, you know, those moments of anxiousness in our life. The problem that I have with that interpretation is that, you know, as we all have those moments of worrying about things at times, don't we? And if we have that interpretation of this passage of Scripture, then all of a sudden guilt and condemnation come in because we, we kind of were telling ourselves, oh no, now, I've, I, you know, as soon as those things come in, we're like, we've already messed up. I think we've all had those those moments. Those Those times when you know we we feel like we've we've fallen short we feel like we've we've let jesus down somehow like we we just didn't trust him and if we only had trusted him a little bit more then we wouldn't have had that that worry we wouldn't have had that doubt we wouldn't have had that anxiousness but i want to i want to suggest a different way of interpreting maybe or different to that at least anyway maybe maybe you on this that's all good but i want to suggest a different interpretation to that. I want to suggest it's this, what, what Paul might be saying is this, when you have those moments of worry, when you have those moments of anxiousness, you don't have to stay in that headspace. In fact, he's saying don't stay in that headspace, don't allow yourself to stay in that headspace, don't allow yourself to entertain that worry but instead take it to Jesus. He says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace. We're all going to have moments where things happen and there's there's worries that creep in, but we don't have to live with that. Jesus can take our worry and turn it into peace. Number three, He turns doubt into, into conviction a few weeks ago i spoke about thomas some of you would have been here and you remember um some of that message and and some of that uh we talked about doubt that's okay to kind of experience doubts to have doubts as long as we're honest with them and as long as we bring them to jesus and this is what thomas did and in in john 20 and 27 and 28 we we read uh this is when Jesus appears to the disciples again and when Thomas is there and and Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands, put your hand into the wound in my side, don't be faithless any longer but believe. And Thomas's response, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And I I would be very confident that there was not a, a moment after that when Thomas doubted that Jesus was alive. For him, that doubt became a powerful conviction that led him into the things that God had called him to to do uh, in in being a witness and sharing the gospel with people everywhere. But God can take our doubts and turn them into convictions. Number four, he turns fear into into faith 2nd Timothy chapter 1 a verse that we we, most many of us know well it says for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power and love and self-discipline there are many ways that fear shows its head in our lives there are many ways that, that fear can, can attempt to influence us and there are a lot of strategies that the Word of God gives us for dealing with fear in our life and instead turning it into faith. The Bible is full of promises. And one of the things that can be so powerful in turning fear into faith uh, with God's help is reminding ourselves of the things that He's promised. I'm not going to give you a list this morning. You can go and find a list and do whatever you like. But the the Word of God is full of promises. And one of the most important ones for me is that God has promised that He will never leave me. He is always going to be with me. No matter what I go through, I can have absolute confidence and, and assuredness that He is walking through that situation with me that I am never in a place in my life where God won't hear me if I call out to Him. I'm never in a place in my life where I am beyond His ability to intervene, beyond His ability to rescue, beyond His ability to give me strength uh, to see it through. I'm never in a place, and, and I know that, and I have that as a conviction in my spirit because of God's promises to us. Remind yourselves of God's promises. And as we as we do, because fear tends to get us focusing on the problems, doesn't it? Fear makes us focused on what could happen, what might happen, what is happening... Uh, And and reminding ourselves of the promises reminds ourselves that God is still in control. Second thing, we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. When we remind ourselves of how faithful He is, that fear turns into faith. Psalm 18 verse 2 says, "'The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my Saviour. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me.' And my place of safety. God is faithful. Over and over again, he has proved himself to be faithful and trustworthy and reliable and dependable. And whenever he says he will do something, he does it. Whenever he says something will happen, it happens. We can take it to the bank. And when we remind ourselves of that faithfulness, fear can turn into faith. Third thing, remind ourselves of his love when we remind ourselves of god 's love, fear turns into faith first john four eighteen so such love has no fear because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. now, when we talk about uh, love casting out fear, it's not talking about, you know, like being afraid of spiders or, you know, snakes or, you know, know, those kind of things. It's it's very sensible to be afraid of some of those kind of things because it helps us to, you know, keep a healthy distance. I really don't understand people that keep pet snakes, Um, you know, it's just, yeah, each to their own, I guess, but not for me, all right. What, What he's talking about, love casting out fear is is the fear of of judgment you know we have when 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 we understand god's love for us we have no fear of standing before god we have no fear of of standing before our king because we know that jesus is our savior who has paid the price for our sin and that when we stand before him we stand before him righteous We stand before him pure and spotless. We stand before him with confidence. He turns fear into faith. Number five, he turns poverty into abundance. Philippians 4. 19's, uh, Paul's writing to the church, he says, this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ. Paul says, I've got everything I need. You remember he talks about how he's learned the secret of being content whether he has a lot or a little whether he's got food or no food whether he's free to go where he wants or whether he's in prison he says it doesn't matter I know that 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 God's given me everything I need and this same God who meets all my needs I have absolute confidence can also meet yours from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. When he writes to the Ephesians, he says this, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. There is nothing that heaven has to offer which has not been credited to your account. That's a powerful thing to think about, isn't it? It's a powerful thing to kind of get our heads around, He's got nothing more to offer us than what He's already given us in Christ. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, does it? Sometimes it feels like, you know, God's withholding stuff or we need to kind of like, you know, urge and plead with God to to pour out His blessings and Paul says, no, 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 forget that, you've been given everything. Everything. In Christ, everything is available to you. You just need to learn how to access it and appropriate it and use it and receive it and put it into practice in your life. But it's all been given. It's all been credited to your account already. You lack nothing. Sometimes we can have a a mentality of of kind of poverty, uh, of, of feeling like we just don't have enough grace, we just don't have enough peace, we just don't have enough joy, we just don't have enough whatever. But God, you know, once upon a time that was true. Before we were in Christ, we didn't have any of those things, did we? But in Christ, all of those things have been given to us. He turns our poverty into abundance. Jesus said that He came to give us Abundant life. Now it doesn't all mean that we're going to be rich, right? We're not teaching prosperity doctrine or anything here this morning. Um, But he's talking about, you know, we have everything we need. We don't need lots of money. We need Jesus. We need his spirit at work in us. This is where we find peace. This is where we find joy. This is where we find life that is fulfilling and satisfying and has purpose and meaning. And he says, this is what I've come to give you. I've come to give you a relationship with God where you have every blessing. You you, you are highly favoured. He holds nothing back because he wants you to have it all. And that's a powerful thing. All right, and lastly, we could go on, but these are the ones that I've got listed this morning. (laughs) He turns weakness into strength God turns our weakness into his strength 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 uh, verse 8 and 9 Paul's talking about uh, he's writing to the Corinthian church and he's talking about his thorn in the flesh some of you might remember he talks about um, he talks about it as a way something that God has put in his life to keep him humble <laughs> He says, I've been given all these amazing revelations and visions and I've seen all these things, but God's given me this this, this thorn in my flesh, this annoyance. I don't know if you've ever had... Um, we have an orange tree at home and uh, it kind of has thorns and stuff on the branches. You might have uh, a lemon tree or maybe even rose bushes. Rose bushes are the worst because they've got those little... Hooks things on the end of their thorns sometimes don't they and you get them uh, sometimes when you get like the the big chunky ones in stuck in your skin and you can just pull them out and that's fine I was never very good at wearing gloves when I did gardening um, but sometimes you just get those little splintery ones that get in under the skin and they're not really a major uh, they don't really stop you from doing much but you know your fingertips are really sensitive aren't they and uh, you, you get those little things, and they get under your skin, and you can't get it out, and it bugs you. Uh, and it's just an irritation. And sometimes it's days before that thing manages to work itself out of your skin, isn't it? Anybody relate to that? Yeah, you've experienced that? And Paul says, just to, just to kind of keep me humble, he's given me this, this little thorn, this little splinter, this little thing, this annoyance in my life. And it doesn't really change a whole lot about my life but he says it it was a pain, it was annoying, it was frustrating. He says uh, in 2 Corinthians here, chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Don't you just hate it when God kind of gives you those kind of answers <laughs> I and mean, he gives you those kind of responses you're like come on God it's a bit like when you pray for patience you're like come on God <laughs> you know I need to pray give me patience and he says all right just hang on a minute yeah. <laughs> God k- kind of gives you these responses and he says you know just just draw close to me just hang on to me and, uh, you know, and and it's frustrating sometimes because it's not the response that we were looking for from God. And I feel like maybe, I wonder if, I, 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 I don't know, I wonder if Paul had any of those moments of kind of being frustrated but uh, before he came to this revelation that he shares with the Corinthian church which he writes about now, he says, And so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that our weaknesses would somehow um, be something that God would, t- you know, enjoy or take delight in or, or cause, you know, to be for, for good. But it seems to be the way that God works, doesn't it? He uses my weakness for His glory. I want it to be the opposite. I want to kind of use my strength for God's glory. I want, the, you know, the things that I'm really good at, I can lift up. And, you know, yeah, that's what I want to use for God. I don't want to use my weaknesses for God. I don't want other people to see them. But Paul talks about, he said, Paul, he's, he's got this kind of vulnerability as he writes to people as much as he's this super apostle and he writes with authority and, you know, church discipline and all this kind of stuff. And other times he's going, hey, I was the worst of all the sinners. I, I was the worst sinner you could get. But God, in His wisdom and in, in His power, decided to use me and to save me instead of, you know, He could have just wiped him off the face of the earth and found somebody else that was better, more spiritual. But God says, no, 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 I'm going to use Paul because then everybody is going to see how powerful my, my way of doing things is, how I can transform and turn around anybody no matter what you've done. And Paul says, God used me so that the, the, how, how much grace He has would be demonstrated and that God would get glory in turning around, even me, who was the worst, the absolute worst. God delights in taking our weaknesses and the areas that we struggle and turning them into opportunities for His glory. The Bible is full of examples of people who failed and were restored. Of people who disappointed God and and messed up, who betrayed Him, who were selfish, murderers, greedy, adulterous. Again and again and again, we see people who messed up, who were flawed, who failed, and God picks them up and uses them for his glory. You know, the Apostle Peter was a great example. He's the, he's the guy who's like, oh, we're going to stand with you, Jesus. And we're going to, yeah, we, we'll never abandon you. We'll never leave you. I'll never betray you. Other people, they might betray you, but I never will. Yeah, we know the story, don't we? Three times he betrayed Jesus in one night. Fear got the better of him. Doubt got the better of him. He denied even knowing Jesus but Jesus restored him the difference a few days can make <laughs> Peter had that opportunity to to confess his love and his devotion to Jesus three times on that beach So often the times when we mess up are opportunities for us to grow, opportunities for God to do something in us. When we come to Him, we allow Him to work in us. Romans 8 verse 28 is a a really familiar verse of Scripture. It talks about God makes all things work together. For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, I used to think that that meant that God would make everything work out nicely for me. And then life happened. And I discovered that was the furthest thing (laughs) from true. Things don't always work out nicely, do they? But I don't think that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote this verse to the church at Rome. I think he was talking about what we've been talking about this morning. That no matter what happens, when I surrender my life to Jesus, when I submit myself to Christ, that somehow in the midst of difficult circumstances, somehow in the midst of my failures and my weaknesses, God uh, brings into my life a, a greater connection to him a greater he he, it's like he he shapes my life just that little bit more to look like jesus those those things in my life those things that i struggle with those things that i wrestle with the circumstances that are painful and difficult the times when uh, I'm in conflict with somebody and, or somebody wounds me. The times when um, I'm, I'm discouraged and I, and I kind of have, you know, I'm, a, I'm at risk of kind of losing my faith. All those kind of things, whatever it is that we're going through, somehow God seems, when I, when I surrender those things to God, somehow He uses those things to actually bring me closer to Jesus. If I can trust Him with those things. If I can let go of those things and not hold on to them and try to fix them myself but to bring them to Jesus. God takes those wounds. And sometimes, you know, it's we don't experience victory in spite of those weaknesses. Just like Jesus, sometimes the victory comes because of those weaknesses. Sometimes our victory comes through our wounds. Sometimes it is those things that become our teacher, our our lesson um, through the work of the Holy Spirit bringing wisdom. And we find that because of those experiences, because of those wounds, because of those ways that we've been hurt or betrayed or because of those those challenges, those illnesses or the, the losses that we've felt, they become the things that... Uh, get us to that place in christ where we have more grace towards others where we understand the power uh, of forgiveness where we find that we've got more kindness or more generosity that that christ is at work within us teaching and shaping and molding us because of those things that we've been through God takes our wounds, takes our weaknesses, takes our defeat, turns them into victory by his power. And this is the message of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your power at work within us. Lord, we thank you that you are in the business of transformation. You are in the business of taking death and turning it into life of taking defeat and turning it into victory, of taking weakness and turning it into strength, of taking sorrow and turning it into joy. Father, we thank you for your power. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have that that courage and determination to submit ourselves to you. Lord, when we're going through difficult things and challenges and trials, Lord, whatever they might look like, whatever form they might take in our life, we thank you, that, you are, that when we submit those things to you, when we surrender ourselves to you and trust ourselves into your hands, Lord, that we know that you are faithful and you work all things together for our good. We give you honour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information, to other podcasts, head to our website at bethelcrc.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.